tonight I am super, super excited to introduce you to Adam J. Eros. Um, Adam is a composer, songwriter, performing artist, dueling pianist, farmer, wine lover, and nerd. Uh, he hit number one on the Billboard Blues charts for his co-writing collaboration, Stand Up, with blues and soul songstress Whitney Shea, who was my amazing guest last week. Um, Adam has composed music and written songs for documentaries, YouTube series, Sesame Street commercials, chamber ensembles, etc. He is a dueling piano player and has... Um, performed um, at the Shout House in San Diego for 12 years. Um, so I, I'm so excited to talk to him about that. His most current endeavor is uh, as co-creator of the podcast, the live show, Tasting Notes, the show. It's a show that pairs wine with original music and with each episode featuring an original song written explicitly for the episode. So that will be a great conversation. So let me just bring him right on, Adam. Hello, Danielle. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm so excited to finally meet you. I've heard your name for years, and oh just goodness. you know, I'm just glad to see um, the mystery man. <laughs> yes, uh, the veil is lifted. Yeah, yes. here I am. No, it's, it's a pleasure to be here, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's it's great. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what direction our chat goes today. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, um, let's start off with this. Tell me what was going on with your music career uh, right before the pandemic hit. What kind of things came to a screeching halt for you, oh. and how did you uh, how did you transition into pandemic life? A question about the past. Huh? Well, I don't. <laughs> I would say any transition um, would be a difficult one for all of us, regardless of uh, of what we were doing. But uh, at that point, I was. I, I have a, a regular gig that I do up outside of Quebec City, Canada, at a club called uh, La Broche Fois, and it's a dueling gig, which is pretty incredible because it's a French-speaking audience that we play American kind of rock and roll to and sing along. And it is impossible to explain with without just kind of being there, a part of the experience. And it's just this massive party. So I was doing that. Uh, I was planning on doing that probably about four to six months of last year uh, when everything kind of came down. And the year was pretty jam-packed with composition opportunities, uh, different performance opportunities or weddings, you know, gigs that are involving just you know, different collaborations and things like that. I've got my my hand in a lot of different pots. So I, there was a lot of things that gradually was like, okay, we're canceling. Okay, well give it a week. Nope, we're canceling. Okay, well give it to, no, we're canceling. Yeah. Um, and then the transition was, uh, you, you know, I think, I think the way that I like to, not like to think about it, but the way that I think about it is I think it'd be foolish for any, any of us uh, musician, artist people to think that it was any, kind of semblance of like, okay, I'll do this now. Because oh, it was it was tragic. It was awful. Uh, you know, once again, the arts and music were the for the first things kind of forgotten, even in the response from the government. And mm -hmm. it was it, it was rough. It was dark. And I, I, I'd be foolish to try to paint a pretty picture around it because it wasn't pretty. And seeing a lot of uh, colleagues and friends that um, 
didn't have it as well off as as I did or as or as our friends might have had. Uh, I mean, that was a real struggle to see, you know, and so many people even talking about, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to be a part of this. I think that was that was the biggest thing for me was just really seeing it crush people in this industry. And it was it was awful. It was awful, especially those those first six months where then it's like, OK, where, where we weren't really going virtual. We hadn't really thought like, okay, maybe we could do a virtual gig. Maybe we could find a way to scramble. Um, we still had those moments of just darkness of like, well, everything was so great and now it's just not. And I know we all have our own personal sad story about that regardless of your profession. But mm -hmm. uh, for us musicians and, and, and performers and artists, it was just like we, we slipped into the seventh circle. There was no end in sight. In fact, we knew that it was just going to get worse. And so that transition was was pretty crappy. I ain't going to lie. So it was rough. But gradually, I felt like there was more of an opportunity to, that was there if you wanted to get it. But uh, like anything, you got to kind of be able to pick yourself up and, and try to stave off the depression, stave off the darkness. And mm -hmm. stay positive. And, keep your, and the best way I think to do that is to try to keep yourself so busy that you can't think about it. So I suppose that was uh, on a personal level, my transition during Yeah, the that's the tactic I use as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, I, know, I totally understand. It, it is, I the way I've thought about it is that, you know, being able to do what you love as a profession is just this, uh, an amazing gift, you know, that we're given that, uh, you know, we don't, we don't mind showing up at the office every day. In fact, it's kind of the thing that gets us out of bed every morning. Um, you know, I know it has its ups and downs, of course, but to um, even have to consider transitioning away from that into something else is, um, it's unthinkable, you know, mm -hmm. and I've definitely had those moments as well, where, um, you know, I have a question, you know, what my route should be or how I should be handling this. And, and, and I think like, oh, hell, I guess I could get a job doing this. I could, but. Yeah. Well, we are, we're all a little nuts to be in this business anyways. Right. And, and mm -hmm. we've got to have a little bit of crazy just to even do what we're doing. And yeah. then when our opportunity to express ourselves is gone, Mm -hmm. And the way that we do it best and the way that we really kind of need to do it. I think, yeah, I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, I was like, Oh, you know, I think my first response to my wife was like, you know, I, I feel like I could be involved with mediation and law. Maybe I'll get a law degree. Let me do some research. It's like, Oh, 16 grand. Yeah. In a pandemic. Yeah. What the hell am I thinking? So <laughs> it's uh, it was, it was kind of funny to kind of go through that mentality of like, well, I got to figure out something in the meantime, but I think that was just really kind of grasping for anything at that point. So. Sure, sure. Well, tell me about what sorts of things did you start transitioning into? What were you keeping yourself busy? Any good uh, projects that you dove into? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm, I'm very lucky. My wife and I, uh, about five or six years ago, we um, bought a house up here in Fallbrook that uh, we were way over our heads because it was an avocado farm. Oh. And so I have that and that kind of saved me i think in many aspects because i always have something to do with something like this it's it's just it's a couple acres it's not huge but there's always yard work i mean you have like a, a just a lawn is enough yard work but uh, there's always something to do and i just felt so good to get dirty to be able to get 
the energy out that I was missing from what uh, I was doing on my in my normal music life. And I've always loved that kind of stuff anyways, but that was more therapeutic than anything. As far as music was concerned, um, I did a few uh, virtual shows, which were fun. It's really not not my thing. I really, really need the, the people in the room. It's just something that I've, I've always needed, uh, or at least a writing project. Um, but I I had some work, which was great for, uh, I write, do some ghostwriting for cartoon work, uh, and which is which is a lot of fun because I love. I grew up with Looney Tunes and Disney, so mm-hmm. Carl Stalling and all of those great composers. That's they're they're my idols. So I really enjoy doing that, and that that was able to sustain me a bit. And um, Whitney had mentioned it uh, on the last uh, last week's show, which uh, was I wrote I wrote a song. Woke up one day and just wrote this tune. I was just feeling with so many friends in the nursing industry, which by the way, nurses nurses and teachers they party harder than anybody else (laughs) and they deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) But I woke up and, and just, you know, I had this, this idea and I was just feeling for them in the middle of, of this craziness when, when, when New York was just, just, you know, so locked up in such a tragic situation. Um, And I wrote a song uh, called you're not alone and and features her Whitney Shea uh, singing the lead on it. And then we reached out to, I think there's 18 different musicians from all over the world that are on this song. And it's uh, it's up on my YouTube channel. And I asked also all of my nurse friends to send in pictures of, of them, like, but of them, like with the fellow nurses, not, not tragic moments, but like, Hey, this is, I want to somehow make this positive. And so it's just this montage of picture after picture, and uh, Whitney just sings the song so beautifully. And we had artists from Brazil, from England, uh, all over the United States, and they sent in their tracks. And it just it it was again it's something like therapeutic. So it was a it was great to be a part of something like that. So very yeah. proud of it. Yeah, it was a great project. I loved it. It was amazing. Congratulations on the success of that. Very very good. Yeah. Um. So. Now that we're kind of like, we, we talked about this a little bit before we started that we, we feel that there is this gradual uh, reopening of things and, and things are starting to feel like they're going to start picking up just a little bit. Um, in the past, you know, month or two, what are you getting into? What are you looking forward to getting back to or starting? Ooh, wow. You know, that's everything, I guess. I think getting the gigs that are coming through now just with the opportunity, even even masked gigs of, of background music, it just feels so good. It just feels so good to be out, to be able to get, to fill that calendar spot, right? And you know what I'm talking about, to be able yeah. to say like, oh, I'm busy this weekend. I mean, for the first time in, in, in probably 25 years, I had a year where I was home every weekend and I don't know what that's like. And so it's it's really... It's really kind of been, it's been a learning experience. It's been, it's been, it's sucked, but it's also been great in certain kind of ways. I feel like there's different growth that we've all gone through <laughs> by not being able to work, by being told we can't work, but nothing's open, right? We can't do it. So it was, uh, it was, it's so surreal. I think, I feel like we're going to have a really great way of explaining it as time goes on, as this becomes a little bit further behind us. Um, but you know exactly what I'm talking about—the weddings, the the massive corporate events that that kind of 
those moments where you have a thousand people out there and you're just feeding off of that energy and then suddenly it's gone and, and now looking forward to it again and being like, wow, it's, it's exciting. It makes my heart beat fast to just think about those opportunities. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm so right <laughs> there with you. We, we, the band had a very rare thing happen last week where we had a gig on Friday and Saturday, and this is not normal at all for anything like this to happen, but they were, you know, COVID safe situations. But the second night I'm standing there with our um, drummer, Mike Holguin, and we're looking at each other and I'm like, look at us, two gigs right in a row. Doesn't it kind of make it, it just thicker. It's, 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 there's more weight. What is gravitas to the moment now to be able to just look around and be like, Hey, I'm doing this. It's, it's, I, I there's that, I don't like the saying, you know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone kind of thing, but it's damn true, you know, when it comes to this right now, because it's just the, the opportunities in, in, for example, for Quebec, um, for me, like those, those people up there are like my second family. And um, my wife and I, we've just grown so close to everybody that's up there and to not see them for over a year now. It's just, it's like heartbreaking. And we're, you know, and even though there's, there's a massive language gap, which is hilarious how that works out, but uh, it, it's, it's just something that you don't really realize how important it is until you don't have it. And so now it's, I, I feel like we're all going to take very, very strong notice of those moments and how deep they are, how much they mean. It's going to, it means something a little bit different after going through this. And that's not just for us. I think that goes for, for anybody, regardless of, of how successful you you were through this pandemic. Um, this has been a crazy year in so many ways. I mean, so many ways. And to just be done with this and to kind of have that sense of normalcy, I think that every single one of us is going to appreciate that, which is why I think the bars are going to be going nuts once we, once we get back to it. So yeah, that's, yeah. That's my hope Mine too. I, and speaking of that, I, I really want to hear all about dueling piano because for me as a singer, my deepest career fantasy is to be that singer that can walk into a room and sit behind the piano and just start playing whatever I want, singing whatever I want and take requests of what anybody wants to hear and just, you know, own the room. And that is you, that is you. And how, how you. do you become such a human that can pull off such a feat? Uh, that, that, it's um, very nice of you to say that. Uh, I, I never really think of myself in, in that kind of level, but I, I think what the, what really is amazing about the profession is that as difficult as it is, it, it's just such a unique performance style. And it's not something like I always, let me try to put it this way. Like I, I've, uh, I've studied jazz. I absolutely love jazz. I understand jazz. I just, I dig it so much, but I would never call myself a jazz pianist, you know, because I just don't have the time uh, that I've put into being what I respect as a jazz pianist. And so I just would never put myself in that. Um, but it's the amount of time you put towards whatever craft that you're doing. Oh, at the end of the night, oh, how do you know all these songs? How do you know all these lyrics? Well, you know, I, I spent a lot of time on them. You know, I learned them. I, I recognized what songs were fun and, and people wanted to sing along to, and I learned the craft and I learned them. So there's a lot of the hard work that goes into it. So that's, that's the first part of the answer. 
Um, the second part of the answer is again, I, I'm very lucky with with my experience. I, my mother was a theater or a, like a theater director at a community college, so I grew up in the theater and just was constantly around that interaction mm -hmm. of uh, of a theatrical performance that was a part of a lot of the shows. So being on stage and being comfortable on stage to improvise was massive. And I think there's so much that goes into that as a dueling pianist, because you're asking people to get rid you're getting rid of that third wall and you're asking people to be a part of the show. So it's a gigantic living room and to be able to be comfortable enough to do that is something that takes a lot of time practice and, uh, and just the experience of having done it before and being comfortable doing it. Uh, and then the other, the other factor is that you got to be able to play and sing at the same time. And that's probably the hardest out of all of them. I was the entertainment manager there for about five years and we auditioned a lot of players, a lot of players, dozens and dozens of players that wanted the gig. And the number one factor of them not getting the job was that it was so difficult for them to play and sing at the same time. Mm. And then you take that and turn it to the audience and then open up to the audience and improvise and, and, and you gotta be pretty proficient at the piano so that you're not looking at your hands, but then know the words of the song and then be able to react to something that's happening in the moment. So it's, it's ends up being kind of like this really, really fast paced, exhausting experience. So I feel like I answered your question a little bit, but that's, that's a, I guess that's just more of an explanation of the experience. And once you get that reaction from the audience, it's, it's unexplicable. It's just, it's wonderful. But I think you could do it, Danielle. How's your piano oh. skill? Oh, you would you would be very disappointed in my piano skills. Oh, got a ways to go. No, but I, you really it is it's the trifecta. It is the the you know being a great piano player, being a great singer, but also having the I don't know what skill it is. It's acting or wit or just that ability to really connect with people and be you know have humor and really just you know kind of control a room and keep everybody, you know, happy and partying and everything. Um, I, I can't imagine the stories that you must have. There's some, there's a lot of them and there's, there's a lot, there's, I guess I, the first thing that kind of comes to mind is just the reactions of people. Um, and I, 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 before I get into that, I just wanted to say that it's also there's also a sacrifice with what we pick, right? Um, I, I've got a degree in classical music. I love classical music. This like, I love jazz as well, but I've got to sacrifice my desire to really do that proficiently um, to be a successful dueling pianist. Uh, I got to know all the songs. I got to mm -hmm. spend all my time doing that, and that's that's something that is kind of like half of my job now because I'm 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 right i'm a writer and a composer uh most of the time now um which is which is great but then when i do that i'll also miss the opportunity to learn the, the newest song as a dueling pianist so it's a tough balance and it is a huge sacrifice but as far as an experience i'd say i always preferred the negative response over the positive response okay because you know you, you start bohemian rhapsody and everybody's like yeah bohemian rhapsody, right uh -huh. but you know five years ago or whatever you start a britney spears song and it's just and people get so just vibrant in their anger because yeah. it's such a stronger emotion you know and so it's i just loved the negative reactions because of, of, <laughs> of just the way it, it brought people so into the moment. 
I'm not saying that like it, it got violent or anything like that. It was just it was so funny how music, how a song, they could have such a such a reaction to it, and at the same time they know every word. You know, yeah. they'll sing the entire song, but they'll hate it. You yeah. know, it's, it's so funny, and I'm sure you've had that experience also with what you do, right? Because you're doing some of these cover songs, and there's somebody in the audience who's just like, I can't believe they're playing this song. And there they are, were every single word. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of negative responses, my all-time favorite is to be playing all night and having people just eating it up, loving it, loving life, and just living it to the fullest and throwing compliments your way all night. This band's incredible. You're amazing. And then the drunkenness intensifies and intensifies. And then at the very end of the night, you know, after you've played overtime already, they ask for the, it's always that one person <laughs> that comes up and they've got one last request and they've been the one who's been really the, you know, cheerleader for the band all night. Nice. And to have to say no to them is like... <laughs> the kiss of death. I've right. never seen people turn so, you know, dark. Yeah. Suddenly you're their number one enemy. Yeah. I can't believe it. I, you, you ruined my night. All I wanted was don't stop believing. You know, and, and, and there you are sitting there going like, we, we've been playing four and a half hours. Like this yeah. is, I'm tired here. Like, come on, you had a great time. Yeah, but it's, it's it's we I, we all know that person, right? That we go out with. That's the the loud one at right. in the group. And you're just kind of like, oh no, you did too much tonight. So it, yeah. it exists everywhere. I think. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, man, that is really something to look forward to go back to going back to. I mean, just to have that there. There's nothing like that feeling of um, just really being in the moment and connecting with an audience and just. Uh, I just, I can't even explain it, you know, and, you know, while I, I am um, very happy that live streaming is, uh, you know, a platform that's available to everybody. And I think that's amazing, you know, that it is, it's something different, but um, that's just something that I, I can't get over. I can't get over not having that, um, you know, interaction to feed from. It's, it's a, it's a whole different ball game as a performer. You know, it's, it's been wonderful for the live streaming um, kind of platform, you know, on things like Twitch and, and YouTube and stuff for a lot of the introverts that are out there that are, that are solid musicians. And I think yeah. it, it really gives them a vessel with which they can feel comfortable um, in a situation that they don't have to be outside. And they're just reading a chat response. And, and I really think that's great. I think that like, you know, the music industry fell behind so far years ago when iTunes came out. I mean, they were just so far behind. And I really wish that the the industry would have been on the forefront of being like, how, how can we get music everywhere? Because all of these other companies have done it. And of course, we could we could talk for hours about how unfortunate that is for writers and songwriters and, and, and um, artists who are not getting paid enough when it comes to streaming uh, royalties and stuff like that. But here's here's like these these opportunities to not have enough time in your lifetime to listen to this music it's great you know you're not just force-fed what's on the popular radio station you can you can really live in your own musical universe and i i am i really embrace that i i got a, a few friends that don't they're really not into that and uh that's fine that's you know what you know do whatever you do but uh i love the fact that i could talk to somebody 
who is so musically aware about a genre and about artists that I have no idea who they are. I've never heard of them. I've never even, I couldn't even tell you what genre they are and they'll start talking about them. So there's, there's just that wonderful opportunity to know so much about everyone that's out there. And, and once you get out of this country, just think of it as every other country has its own, this massive universe of artists that are out there that are on the same streaming platforms that you'd never hear about. So I think it's a really, really great thing. I, I'm just wondering, um, are, have you posted the star search video of you? <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's so funny you mentioned that because my mom was over here the other day and we were just, I don't know, I don't know how the subject came up, but um, she said she had the video and I'm like, I'm like, you need to give me that video. I haven't seen it since I was like 14 or something. There you was that a turning moment for you or a turning point for you as far as did you already know what you wanted to do? Or was that kind of something when you were out there under the lights going like, oh, wow, this, this is it. Yeah. You know, I did not come from a musical family. My my grandmother was a professional singer, but we lived on opposite coasts. So she didn't have, you know, he real heavy influence on me in that area. Um, so growing up, it was really me bugging my parents to, you know, enroll me in this. I signed me up for that. I want to do this. And, and so I was always kind of, um, you know, pushing that forward and um, asking for lessons and everything. And then uh, the same thing happened with Star Search. I told them I wanted to, you know, um, I wanted to audition for it. And they, my parents were so wonderful. They, they humored me all the time. They really indulged my desires to do all of these things. And I think the big turning point there was, um, my family, you know, my parents really started to take it seriously, like when that opportunity came up. And so their support and their willingness to, you know, really, really start getting serious and, you know, helping me along with that um, really turned. And, and of course, for me, it was, you know, a huge confidence booster too. that like, okay, you know, maybe I can do this. <laughs> but That's so fun. great. That's so great. And, well, and, and I think there's a recognition or recognition of a, a, of a talent there that not everybody has and there's that level of kind of like wow i think we think of it as a, a as expression because we grow to learn how to express ourselves through what we're doing um and then a, a lot of folks are looking from the outside in and it's just like this this untouchable kind of gift of wow i can't believe you do that that's so incredible and so they're like they want to know you. They want to push. So I would imagine that maybe your folks had a little bit of that kind of like, wow, this is something incredible. We've got to, we've got to nurture this. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's definitely, it's, it's something that, you know, even now they, they still talk about it and it's, it's a little embarrassing, but. Oh, you know. <laughs> Did you get to meet Eggman? Man? Yeah. Briefly, briefly. I was just on one show and um, the, the guy that I competed against, he ultimately went on to win the entire show. Um, Chaz Lamar Shepard, he's, uh, he has been in the Temptations movie. He, uh, he was on, oh, what's that show? Seven. They put you against a ringer. Look at I that. <laughs> it was such a great experience. And I, um, you know, I look back at it now and, uh, remember, um, some of the, uh, people that were on that were, you know, basically amateurs at the time too, who have really gone on to do Beth, uh, big things. One that stands out is um, Beth Hart, who is uh, a, a great blues singer. Um, she was in the uh, 
adult category when I was on the show. And so it's been amazing to see her become, you know, such a big deal over the years. <laughs> what, what a great opportunity too. I, I, I saw that um, and I was like, oh, I got to ask you about that. That's for sure. <laughs> funny. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, um, I want to make sure that we talk about your um, new podcast. I was so excited to see that. I, um, I love wine and I love music and you have brought those two worlds together. Uh, tell me how that came about. Uh, it is so fun. I'll just start by saying it is so fun. And we just dropped an episode. We do an episode every two weeks that we drop and just every Wednesday. So it actually came out today. So a great plug for it. But uh, uh, my best friend, Eric Brem is a wine distributor for um, Southern Wine and Spirits. And he's also a sommelier, just a wine specialist educator. And I had had this idea maybe about a year and a half ago. Oh gosh, I guess it's two years now. Because uh, we were doing this as a live show in Palm Desert, Palm Springs area for restaurants, wineries, venues. And the whole idea was to, to bring a wine tasting. It's a wine tasting, but there's a musician there. There's me there that's kind of playing the piano. And we developed a little bit of a theatrical approach to wine tasting. So in the live show, some examples of what we would do, um, we had uh, some wine that was uh, from Sicily, from like Mount Etna and that. So I would I would play Night on Bear Mountain. You know, it was always and then my my buddy Eric would be like, on the slopes of Mount Etna, grapes emerged, you know. And so suddenly we're talking about this wine in this very wonderful, dorky, fun kind of theatrical show. And then so they would taste the wine. And then while they tasted the wine, there were request slips on the on the uh, uh, tables and they would just request some of their favorite songs. Mm -hmm. And then they'd throw them up there. And with kind of like the dueling experience that I had, I would play that when they tasted. So during their tasting moments, when they're like 10 minutes, 15 minutes of just tasting, figure out the wine, I'm playing their requests. And then at the end, after you know going through the six tastings, we would then transition to an hour of just sing-along kind of request-driven show. Mm -hmm. And that's where it kind of like came from. COVID happened. All the businesses were shuttered. There was no opportunities for us to do this live show anymore. Um, so we we're like, let's do a podcast. You know, I, I, I got all the equipment uh, and I'll produce it. And what we'll do is we'll do a socially distanced version of this, which has been a challenge, but it has been wonderfully successful. And so with the podcast version of this, we pick a theme and then I specifically write a song. Uh, there, I think there's one where I just do underscore of just like an underscore kind of uh, compositional thing throughout, but there's always a song that's based on a theme and they're always silly. You know, the, there was last week's P or two weeks ago, Pinot Noir's episode was a punk song um, about just give me a Pinot you know, with guitars and everything. And and the Merlot is a little bit more of a Broadway kind of musical yeah. kind of thing. Because our theme this last week was, or the last two weeks was the Sideways movie and how it kind of really destroyed the Merlot industry. Uh, and the Pinot industry went up. So we have a Pinot back to back with a Merlot episode. And so we, we that's kind of like our thematic thing of those two episodes. And so Merlot was the sad character that we brought out in that. And it's really just an education. I feel I'm I'm like stoked because I get to learn about wine, you know, from my best buddy. And we've gotten such a great response. We've got a few episodes coming out with um, interviews of winemakers uh, in Italy. 
um, all over Napa and Sonoma and everyone's just really gravitated towards it with open arms because it, we don't want it to be pretentious. You know, I, I'm running the the kind of like the host questions and stuff. Um, we co-host it, but I'm kind of trying to direct the questions because I'm the noob and there's too many wine podcasts out there. And I apologize if, if I'm going to offend anybody out there, but there's too many wine podcasts out there for people like me because I don't want to hear about all the stuff I don't understand. I want to hear about just the enjoyment of wine and some education. Give it to me on the level of somebody who appreciates wine, has some knowledge, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not a psalm. You know, so uh, there's so many people like me. There's more people like me out there to be able to enjoy wine from the angle of like, hey, I'm a f I'm I don't want to be afraid to ask a question about it because some pretentious wine snob is going to give me some snotty answer about why I don't know. You know, it's like look, you weren't born with this knowledge. You went to school. Just help me out. I'm just trying to figure out how long I could keep this wine. You know, it's yeah. just like all, all those things. So. Um, I really loved the angle and the approach. And my buddy, Eric, is he's a character. We're, we're buds from high school, so we're just joking all the time. It's really got a great energy to it. And it's just been a blast. It's been this kind of shining light during this this time. So I've, uh, I, I suppose my plug for it would be like, if you're a wine drinker and, and not a snob and you just like to enjoy wine and want to learn something about it and have it from a different angle of a little bit of silliness, non-pretentious banter, and then sprinkle in you know the music anecdotes then uh that's for you yeah yeah oh i love it you you guys are a great pair i i listened to the um the merlot episode today hey, and right. i just you know it's just so interesting such a different topic you know to listen to and just um talking about the movie and you know what what happened of course it's just facts that you never hear unless you're in that industry i guess um but that was so cool and then for you to, you know, bring in the original soundtrack for it. How, how do you get inspired to do that? What are the things that you're like trying to pull out of the experience that inspire the song? Ooh, great, great question. You know, I'm a, I'm a goofball. And so there's, I feel like there's a certain kind of uh, anthropomorphism I like to put on on different things, so I, I, you know, the, I feel like the character of Pino, or the character, like for, for instance, the, those two episodes, Pino to me was like, you know, hey, I'm Pino. And the Sideways movie is like, this is all I drink, it's Pino. And so like, this guy had this kind of like cocky attitude. And so I was just like, this is punk music, you know, this has gotta be this punk, I'd be like, just give me a Pino. And then the song kind of wrote itself. Um, and then Merlot, it was like, oh, here's this sad character of hello, Merlot, are you doing? <laughs> and so then it, it kind of just, you know, I'll sit at the piano, usually with stuff like that. And because I, I, I write a lot of cartoon music, mm -hmm. I just love drawing from that palette of like, all right, where is, where is this groove and feeling going to be from? And then improvise melody or a, a catchphrase or something. And so that's kind of how it kind of comes together but it all stems off of the theme that we're thinking about for the episode and how I can, and then, then the music will come after it. Um, there was one where that wasn't the case and it's the very first episode and it's called Rose all day. It's about Rose. And I, I was like, you know, I'm going to write a song about it. And it's just, it's a rap song. That's um, just the history of Rose. And it's super, super dorky, silly fun. But uh, uh that's one of the ones where that kind of came first before the episode, but for the most part, it's inspired from the content that we're trying to talk about. 
Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. The the work is brilliant. I love it. I so, so enjoyed it. So I, I gave you a sub. I'm a sub now oh, of your podcast. So thank I'll you. be listening. And, and I posted, um, I posted all of your links in the chat. So, you know, if you want to check out Adam's website, his website is there and all of his um, social media handles and also a link to the podcast. So be sure to check it out because it it's really, really good. I love it. Yeah. But I, I should mention that uh, um, over the last, I wanted to add this just from what you had said about what we've been trying to keep busy. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, my, my wife is incredible. She's a high school teacher. She's been virtually learning, mm -hmm. teaching from here the entire time. And it's been, it's been just a treat for me to experience that because I mean, she's, she's super quirky, uh, like me and very off the wall. And so it's just been a joy to, to, um, watch her do what she does, but we're also very creative. So she's got a green screen and everything going on behind her for the kids and friends who are teachers. So I ended up, uh, writing some music for uh, a friend who had an elementary school, um, and their whole, phrase was be safe, be kind, be productive. And she came to me, was just like, this is, can you just put, put like a little jingle to this song, be safe, be kind, be productive. And I was like, no, no, I'm writing a whole stinking song about this. And not only am I writing a song, I'm doing a video of it and it's going to feature um, my wife and our dog. And so that's also up on, on my YouTube. And I suggest if anybody's out there to take a look at it because it is hilarious. I'm wearing like a lab coat kind of thing and it, and our dog washes his hands and it's all about, you know, with the pandemic being coming out, how do you, how do you talk to kids and what a, how do you, you know, we, we don't have any children, but what angle do you put it? Because it's so hard for them to understand at a certain age, of course. Um, I couldn't imagine being in high school. I had a, this conversation with a few of my buddies. I couldn't imagine being a junior or senior in high school during this situation. Um, just just couldn't even imagine. But like the little kids, like what? how can you tell them like, hey, you got to wash your hands. You got to make sure be safe. This is what it is. So it was a really great opportunity to kind of have that, that just, just, just that option to kind of write something for, uh, mm -hmm. for that kind of group. Oh my gosh. Well, I would definitely, I will definitely check that out. And just to comment on, you know, uh, dealing with this with kids. Yes, please. Uh, <laughs> you know, the thing is kids are so resilient and their, their minds are so fresh. So everything is new to them, but something like this hits and as full grown adults, we don't even know how to process it. So to think that we're going to be able to like step up to the plate and like guide our children, you know, back to the promised land through this is just, it's just foolish to like, think that it took me a while to figure that out through the pandemic. But, um, I swear to God, I have learned more from my kids throughout all of this on how to cope, how to handle, you wow. know, things. And, uh, you know, that's been a really kind of beautiful thing to witness is, you know, it's like, oh man, you know, you're looking in, you're looking in the mirror <laughs> of yourself as a child. And I just, I have, I've learned so much from that. It, isn't it, isn't that just so true though? Like adults, we suck at this. Yeah. Our response is, yeah. this is, this is horrible. This is good. You know, we're going to look back on this experience and be like, we're idiots. You know, we, we went out and the first thing we did was buy all the top ramen and toilet paper. It's like, what are we, what are we thinking? You know, like this is, it's, it's comical now, 
but like you know before it was it's it's just ridiculous i mean we need to put kids in charge next time this thing happens and they'll cool us off yeah no i i've cried more than they have throughout (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh um speaking of kids i want to um step back a little bit more into your history, because obviously you have your hand in so many different unique things. Um, and as a, you know, as a musician, there is so much variety in what you do. Um, can tell me about how, what was your musical upbringing? And, um, when you kind of got out into the professional world, how did you make those choices, uh, to go in those different directions? Wow. Um, that's, a I'll, I'll, I'll try to be relatively succinct because it, I think the reason why I've gotten myself into so many things is because I just was so fortunate to be a part of so many things. Um, I grew up, uh, my mother was a classical pianist as well. And so I grew up in the classical school. Uh, I was doing competitions. Um, I naturally took to it, which was, which was great. I fell in love with it. I knew what I wanted to do when I was in elementary school. And I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I just knew that I, I wanted to play. Um, and I didn't really win any of those competitions. And I think for me, that was the best thing for me and the way that I turned out. And I really look on those experiences cause I always got the same response. I always got the, Hey, you know what? Yeah. Your, 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 your expression, the best, your technique, eh, you know, you got to work on your technique, a couple flub notes in there, you know, I'd be like, all right, but you know, your expression was great. And I took that so much to heart as I grew up because it was just like, you know what, maybe the best direction for me is to not think that like my career is going to be playing concertos, you know, for, uh, for an orchestra. Um, I went to the university of San Diego um, where I did major in classical music performance. But when I was in um, college, I was writing more. I really got into world music. And I really got into jazz and I got into this kind of like the jazz education side of things because I didn't have they didn't have jazz program at USD. So I was doing that all on my own and just reading books and listening. I was really into bebop. So I just listened. I had Charlie Parker songs memorized. I was I just loved it so much. And these big old books on jazz theory just dorking out. And then after that, uh, after college, I I formed a band with some uh, fellow musicians and we did some touring and stuff and we were our youthful energy and, and ridiculous non-edited songs that I was doing lyric wise, which I look back on a few of those lyrics that I was writing. I was just like, Oh my gosh, edit, edit something, you know, <laughs> come on. And it's, and it, but it, but it's all kind of like a progression, you know? So after that happened, um, as far as the direction, I got an audition at the shout house and that was when I would think it was 20, three or 24 and that changed my life and i had shunned pop music i I like i did not want to have Mm. anything to do with pop music for about eight years of my life while i was in college and four years after none of it and there i am getting a job where my job is to learn all pop music i possibly can um and i think i i thank my parents uh, who are just absolute wonderful people because my my mother and father always had the oldie station on wherever we went. It was 99.9 or 101.1 KGGI. Mm-hmm. And because I grew up outside of Los Angeles and it was, I had those songs ingrained in my brain. So when it comes to fifties and sixties and seventies music, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty solid. You know, you ask me you know, to play every Katy Perry song, I'm going to have a little bit of a difficult time doing that. But, uh, you know, so I, I was pretty steeped in that. And then after that, I, I moved to Fallbrook, 
then I really wanted to just excel more in, in composition. The dueling piano skill is something I, I just am never going to be able to uh, just thank enough for being out there because it just, it translates so much to other opportunities, even solo gigs, which I love the solo sing-along aspect of, of what we can do with that. It's a lot more difficult because you don't have that other player to really bounce off of. But at the same time, uh, you know, sing along, sing along. And if you know how to, how to reach a group of people in the room, then the rest kind of takes care of itself. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, from there, um, I just, you know, writing has just really been something that I've, it has been from the beginning as well that I've always wanted to do. And I'm just very lucky to be able to have that opportunity to do that for part of my living, living as well. And so the composition and the writing aspect of my life is something I want to just start to overtake a little bit more of the performance. Uh, but the balance seems to be working out now. I mean, who knows? <laughs> who knows what's going to happen in the next six months, right? Yeah, that's that's incredible to for your your musical training to go from one spectrum completely, you know, to the to the opposite yeah. side. And, I, and the theater. I was just going to say, just, I think the theater. Growing up in the theater really had so much to do with that because um, I was doing a lot of accompanying for uh, the shows, and mm -hmm. the shows would range from you know Sondheim uh, to Andrew Lloyd Webber you know, to uh, Cy Coleman, you know, just a little bit all over the map of a classical approach to a jazz approach. And so I just, I loved everything. I mean, I, my favorite song in high, in junior high school was Mama Said Knock You Out by LL Cool J. So it's like, and there I am playing classical competition. So I don't know what the heck is wrong with me, Danielle, but that's just kind of the way that <laughs> <laughs> I think I think having variety in life is great. I'm kind of curious to know, coming from your classical background and being like, uh, you know, having to learn so much pop and now pop is, a, you know, such a huge uh, genre, right? Um, what are the things that you appreciate with the most current stuff coming out? What are you hearing that you really like that maybe, um, you know, maybe the average listener doesn't notice? Um, you know, that's a, that's a really tough question because I think that depends on which part of what's coming out, right? Because, okay. I mean, I love Taylor Swift's new album. I think that's phenomenal. I, I, mm -hmm. I love the songwriting aspect of it. And I think it's kind of tough to separate yourself from what you think should be happening to what's happening and then just enjoying what, what is happening. Um, as musicians, and I say this all the time, we're the worst audience ever. We are terrible. And, and it takes a long time and it took me forever to realize how terrible I am as an audience. And I've, it's like a process of me to remind myself constantly of like, stop trying to analyze, stop trying to figure out, you know, all oh, that bass player's technique or the piano player's technique or this technique, just sit there and enjoy the music for what, it is on on a level of just being able to be there in the middle of it, and there's been situations where I mean, I, where I've, I've heard bands that were opening for other bands talking crap about the band that they opened right. for, and I'm like, what are you doing? This is they're paying you, you know, and they're obviously drawing more of a crowd. So like, what do you, you know? So it's 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 just so crazy because as musicians, I think we just there's this natural selfishness that we all because we're it's such an independent thing we do we're all about the practice we're all about just like honing in on being the best we possibly can be and so naturally 
anybody else's opinion about what we're doing. No, you don't know what you're talking about. This is the way it's supposed to be. And it makes us such horrible, horrible audience members. And um, I've really enjoyed writing more and more because it is such a challenge to capture the essence of good lyrics. It is, it's such a challenge and it takes a lot of work and there's a lot of failure before you get what you really want. And there should be, because if you're just taking the first thing that you come up with and you're not trying hard enough. And if anybody, if you're not listening to what anybody else says, well, that's just you being a bad audience. So I, I just, in my own, and this is my own personal experience and not trying to, you know, piss off any of my music buddies, but uh, the, for my own experience, it's like, there's no reason why I can't like the Taylor Swift album. I think it's great. I think she's she like nailed some of these songs so well. Production value is fantastic. There's a lot of um, the things that I'm I I am kind of wishing we had more of are albums kind of similar to that. I wish we had a little bit more of the focus being on the song and the musicality as opposed to being on the production. You know, I'm I'm an acoustic guy. I grew up with a piano, not a keyboard. A piano. I'm not a keyboard player. I, yeah, you know, I know there's an organ sound on my keyboard. And I can play that. I can play that. I can play the vibes or whatever the heck you want on there. But uh, the I'm a pianist and the acoustic nature of what that brings and the connection of just the, hearing the string vibrate, I that's me. That's what I love so much. So when I hear a lot of the overly produced stuff, um, that doesn't appeal to me as much. I can appreciate it for what it is, mm -hmm. but that's the direction that I'm not exactly that into. So I tend to go towards a little bit more of the instrumental uh, the acoustic accompaniment kind of things and definitely vocalists. I, I, there's, there's a lot of wonderful instrumentalists out there. There's so many great instrumental artists that are phenomenal that can't fill a room because of one reason. And that is because not everybody speaks that, but you start singing and you start having an emotion or a connection with a lyric that might relate to somebody's life or emotional state. People relate to that immediately and they don't, you know, unfortunately, let's just admit it. They're not listening to the great instrumentalist anymore. They're listening to the words and how that affects them. Now put that all together and you got a great product. But uh, I feel like I just totally, you know, soapboxed my way, uh, you know, into that question. But uh, I suppose that's no, all. not at all. I, I had th so many thoughts when you were answering that and just saying that, you know, why, why can't I like the Taylor Swift? I've always felt that way about, um, music. My, um, my husband's a guitarist and he is, um, I would say he's a bit of a purist when it comes to genres. He does not like the crossover thing. It really angers him a lot. And, you know, we've had these conversations where I, I say you cannot debate the fact that a certain song or certain style of music touches or moves somebody and they love it. How can you argue that? You know? Yeah. I guess if you're, you know, great musician, you could pick apart the musicality of something or the, you know, technical side of it, but just music in general. I mean, you love what you love and you just can't be sorry it, for that. It's like, it's like wine, you know, you don't have to go and buy a $50 bottle of wine. We say this in the podcast and didn't have to like it because it's 50 bucks. If you like $2 bottle of wine, that's fantastic. You're going to save a lot of money. Just, you know, like what you like and don't get angry at somebody else for liking what they like. I mean, like who let the dogs out is a song that, yeah, I don't necessarily hear, need to hear that song ever again in my life, but you know what? There are people out there where that's their favorite song and that's good yeah. for them. You know, that's fine. I, it's like, I, 
I don't hold any judgment against you or what you're doing, but uh, to each their own. Now, it's funny you say crossover. It's um, what kind of music is uh, your husband like? What is he country? Well, he's he's really, I mean, primarily a rock guy, okay. but um, talking about country, I think that's where, you know, the anger stems from is that he he loves the old school country, which I do as well. I'm not super, you know, super crazy about what's out there right now. There's a few things that I like, but um, but he just uh, he's really having a struggle. I'm sure. I, I, you know, we can have, we should all have a conversation because I'm sure, because I know that you love country too. Yes. Um, 90s country. I love it. I love 90s country. It's so yeah. incredible. And then something happened where all of a sudden you need to be on a dirt road. You need to be in a pickup truck. Mm -hmm. You need to be, you know, slip, you know, swigging beers on every single one of your songs. And it's just like, what happened? These, the 90s country music was so, this is so pure and so about like love and like real, real down to earth kind of like humanity, human kind of emotions. And suddenly you got to be in a truck on a dirt road with, you know, that kind of thing going on. So there, there, see, there's me poo pooing something, you know, right there. but if you like that stuff, that's okay, people. Yeah, it is. And I think uh, there there's a great Ken Burns documentary out there uh, called, I think it's called Country Music. I don't know mm -hmm. if you saw that. I have. But yeah, it's great. It's th yeah, great. they really explain what I think is what happened to country music in the 90s. The genre just exploded. And these, you know, these like Garth Brooks and Shania Twain and like all these, you know, big, big, big iconic stars just exploded. And more of the, you know, mainstream public began to like the music. And then I think the, you know, the record labels started to notice how profitable that genre was becoming. And, you know, how can we dip into this a little bit and start molding some artists, you know, into that pathway? And I think it just over time seeped its way into. <laughs> seeped is a good word. <laughs> I you, You'll appreciate this because it was. A year ago, maybe a year ago, maybe a week or two. Anyways, uh, it was the weekend before everything shut down. Mm -hmm. um, we went to Vegas and we, you know, this was something that was like, we're not like, oh, it's our last chance. Go to Vegas. We had this trip planned. And so we went to Vegas and this is the weekend before all of this stuff kind of went down. And our lat, we saw the second night, the second performance wasn't the first. Might have been the first. I think it was the first performance of the Shania Twain show up there. And she she had like broken her ankle, so she couldn't really move around the stage. But she was she was you could tell she was crying and just like this is all going to be gone. Can't wait. But the show was great, and it was just such a wonderful moment to be there doing that. And then everybody started leaving, and we all thought to ourselves, like in this mass of people during a pandemic that's starting to break out, we're like, yeah, this wasn't smart. This really wasn't smart at all. Oh. We should uh, this, this. This is probably something that's uh, that's not good news. Right here, we all we were fine. You know, it was it was at that point where it, things had not grown at all. It was, I want to say it was the beginning of March, um, maybe the first weekend in March. So it hadn't gotten to the point where everything was shut, but uh, or shutting. But uh, it was crazy. This Shania Twain. That was the last concert that we saw. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't feel too bad because the last weekend of February, we spent a week at Disneyland. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Hey, Tony, I feel like you fit it in, you know, like, all right, we did it. Yeah, <laughs> we skated by with that one. But 
Oh, Adam, this has been great talking to you. It's so good to get to know you and finally meet you. And I feel like I could talk to you for hours and, you know, we may have to do a part two, but um, <laughs> thank you again so much for doing this. I did put all of um, the links to um, your website, your social media and the podcast link. But um, if, if anyone listening is unfamiliar with your work, where's the first place you want them to go to hear your stuff? You know, check the podcast out. The podcast yeah. is, I think, just is really fun. Tasting Notes, the show. And you can follow us on Instagram at, at Tasting Notes, the show. Um, I think it's just, it's got something for everybody. If you're really, really not feeling the wine um, kind of things, then I would say visit visit my, visit my YouTube channel or check out Whitney Shea's um, latest album, Stand Up, which has just done so well. And if it wasn't for the stinking pandemic, it would have, it, it yeah. There's a whole nother episode on that, but um, it was such a wonderful, wonderful thing to be a part of. And we worked so hard on it. And you can tell just how hard we did by when you really, when you listen to the tins. So stand up by Whitney Shades and which is something that I know that both of us are so proud of. And, and, and she's just phenomenal. So it's, uh, it's just a wonderful thing to be a part of. And thank you for having me.